Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. Hello, Ivy Church. Hello, Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Hey, we're in this series, BCJCAD, which is looking at our stories and how I know I had a life before Christ and then I met Jesus Christ. So I was BC and then JC and now things are so much better forever that I'm living AD. I'm living as a result of that meeting and it keeps on changing me as I keep on meeting with Jesus. But we're also looking at uh, the, the journey to the cross in the run-up to Easter. And we're following Jesus as he goes to the cross and beyond, but actually we're taking a step behind as we're putting our feet in the footsteps of Peter. And we're learning from him, from his ups and downs and from his, his uh, frailties and his failures. And um, we're looking so that we can learn too. And now the cross is looming very large. There's gonna be a lot of detail about these few hours um, that, are, that every minute counts as we get nearer and nearer to the cross and we're going to move uh, from what we call Monday Thursday now into Good Friday. So let's read from Mark chapter 14 beginning at verse 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going on a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, that was true of Peter. It's true of you and me. And if you were to total all the chapters and verses that talk about our Lord's life in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, up to, sorry, from and including his birth at Bethlehem, right up to the years growing up in Nazareth until 30 when his ministry began, that adds up to four out of 89 chapters about that part of his life. 29 chapters of the Gospels are focused on the last week, what we call Holy Week, and 13 chapters are in the timeline of the day that starts this reading, Good Friday. That's what we call it anyway. 
That shows you how important this time was and we start actually in the very early hours of the morning after the Last Supper ended, Passover, where for six hours or so the Lord uh, was with his friends, he washed their feet and his enemies' feet too and, and then he taught them and he shared the first communion with them all. And then Jesus sang a worship song, Psalm 136, ending with the words, his loving kindness endures forever, before they all left the upper room and went out to the Mount of Olives. We can pick up the story actually there in verse 26, just before our reading. It says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. Now the word there translated fall away means to take offence. The word scandalise comes from this word. His suffering and his death on a cross was so demeaning. He, Jesus would become a scandal that none of them wanted to be associated with. And he knows it. He knows they're going to run and fall into sin rather than have the same thing happen to them. They will all fall, but it's not final or fatal for them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And then we heard Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. What does Peter do? He insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And all the others said the same. Jesus knows in advance everything that will happen in your life and mine. God knows the future. And the Bible has outlined all of this in prophecies centuries before. So Jesus knows his destiny. He knows his Bible because it really is his Bible. He knows he's the good shepherd. And the prophecy that he alludes to, predicted over 500 years before in Scripture, Zechariah 13 verse 7, will happen. The sheep will be scattered. You know how brave sheep are. He knew he'd be struck. He knew Judas would kiss him, the soldiers would strike him, his friends would fail him and the Romans would nail him. But he didn't run. He kept walking. Peter and the eleven would not sell him for money like Judas, but the price of staying with him would be too high. They would be ashamed of him. They couldn't stand with him or be identified with him. And he told them in advance, you're all going to fall away. And yes, it would be their fault. It was their choice, their cowardice, but the failure would not be final. He'd come to save them and he'd already taken their weakness into account. Judas's betrayal was deliberate and demonic and because of the sin of unbelief. And later he would feel regret, but not repentance. When Judas walked out from the upper room to go and get his bag of silver coins, there was no way back. But Jesus knew our human weakness. He's fully human and fully God. The Bible says he was tempted in every way like us, but without sin. So he wanted the disciples to know before they left, this 11, this group of them, that their failure and shame could be turned around. Recently, I had the opportunity to climb a mountain in Glencoe. It's called Stobdub. My friend Aaron, who leads a church in Scotland, was my guide. And he insisted that I take crampons and an ice axe, something I had no experience in. But he'd done his winter skills course and he knew what it would be like up there, even on a sunny day. Then we video Anthony putting the crampons on here. Look at the pro, look at this. <laughs> Three quarters of the way up this mountain, we came to some snow and ice. I was really glad that he'd insisted on these crampons. We could not have got up further without them. And then he took me out onto the snow and he showed me how to hold the ice axe. And we practiced various techniques and he said, this is what happens and this is what you do 
when you fall. <laughs> Saved your life. Saved your life. <laughs> it wasn't really an if. He knew if we were going to reach the top and not just go back down, to make the ascent, there'd probably be slips. There were going to be maybe even falls along the way. And when you slip, this is what will happen. This is how you make sure that the fall is not final. This is how you don't slide 900 feet right off the side of the mountain. So it's just after midnight and the disciples are following Jesus. They're walking up the Mount of Olives. I've been there. It's uh, to the east, high over the city and rises up over 800 metres. So I was glad to be in a tour bus rather than having to walk up like they did. It's now home to a massive ancient cemetery of 150,000 graves because the Jewish people believe this is where the Messiah will come and stand as they interpret scripture. Now at the time of Jesus, it would have been covered in olive trees, just everywhere you go. There were still many there. Jesus was walking up the Mount of Olives, talking with his disciples away from the busy city where everybody is celebrating the great Passover feast as they have just done. When he gets quiet enough, as they're climbing, climbing, climbing up, he says, you're all gonna fall. Now, if I knew everything that was gonna happen like he did, I'd be paralyzed with fear. But Jesus keeps on climbing and talking and helping his friends to keep going and to be ready. When we got out of that tour bus at the top of the mountain and looked over the city of Jerusalem, it was amazing to think this actually happened. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God did come. He did stand here. And when Christ came to earth to save us, he came so that we could know God and to show that God knows us. In his plans for the salvation of the world and for you and me, thank God he's taken our weakness into account. Psalm 103 verse 14 says, for he knows how weak we are. He remembers we're only dust. Peter thought he was made of rock because that's what Jesus had called him. Jesus knew he was made of dust. The disciples all thought they knew themselves and that they were strong, but Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows that we all have feet of clay. He knows what fear can do to us. He knows what we are really like under pressure. He knew we can be scared. We can be scared to be identified with him. He knows what comes out of us when we are squeezed. Now, in this series, as I said, we're following Jesus to the cross and beyond, but one step removed because we're standing in Peter's stumbling footsteps. We've seen this pattern over and over again. Jesus says or does something amazing and Peter, in his pride, says or does something foolish. So, it's really no surprise it happens here as they're climbing up the Mount of Olives. Mark 14, verse 29, there it says, Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, yes, today, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. The night before in the upper room, Peter had already boasted that he would never disown Jesus. He even said, I will lay down my life for you. Wow. Talk about getting it backwards. And here he goes again, insisting vehemently that Jesus is wrong. I don't know about the rest of these lily-livered, yellow-backed cowards, but I know I won't fall away. 
And if you look in the other Gospels and add them up, you'll see it was actually on three separate occasions that Jesus replied to Peter, you will disown me three times before the rooster crows. It happens at three in the morning. The fall will happen that fast, just a few hours from now. But Peter was so proud, deaf, dumb and blind, he missed it every time. No way, he said. Thank God he had already factored in his failure. In Luke chapter 22, we see detail on one of the conversations earlier at the Last Supper. The Lord turned to Peter while he and all the disciples, ironically, were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. He said in verse 31, Simon, Simon, he was still acting like his old self, so Jesus called him by his old name. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. You can fall, we all fall, we, we will fall. But Jesus is praying for us, and he's praying when we do, that when we inevitably fall, our faith will remain intact. If I'm gonna climb the mountain on the way to the top, I will slip. I'm gonna get knocked down. I get knocked down, but I get up again. <laughs> and Jesus was praying for him. And now he's praying for you and he's praying for me that our faith will not fail. Remember, Jesus called Simon Rocky. I love those movies. What is special about him? He gets knocked down. They think it's all over, but Jesus doesn't throw in the towel. When we fall, he says, get up again. You might have heard me before read one of my favourite poems, a bit of doggerel really, called The Race. Whenever I start to hang my head in front of failure's face, my downward fall is broken by the memory of a race. A children's race, young boys, young men, how I remember well. Excitement, sure, but also fear, it wasn't hard to tell. They all lined up so full of hope, each thought to win that race, or tie for first, or if not that, at least take second place. Their parents watched from off the side, each cheering for their son, and each boy hoped to, make, to show his folks that he would be the one. The whistle blew, and off they flew like chariots of fire. To win, to be the hero there was every boy's desire. One boy in particular, whose dad was in the crowd, was running in the lead and thought, my dad will be so proud. But as he speeded down the field and crossed a shallow dip, the little boy who thought he'd win lost his step and slipped. Trying hard to catch himself, his arms flew every place. Amidst the laughter of the crowd, he fell flat on his face. As he fell, his hope fell too. He couldn't win it now. Humiliated, he just wished to disappear somehow. But as he fell, his dad stood up and showed his anxious face, which to the boy so clearly said, get up and win that race. He quickly rose, no damage done, behind a bit, that's all, and ran with all his might and mind to make up for the fall. So anxious to restore himself, to catch up and to win, his mind went faster than his legs. He stumbled and fell again. He wished that he had quit before with only one disgrace. I'm hopeless as a runner now, I shouldn't try to race. But through the laughing crowd he searched and found his father's face with a steady look that said again, get up and win that race. So he jumped up to try again, 10 yards behind the last. If I'm to gain those yards, he thought, I've got to run real fast. 
Exceeding everything he had, he regained eight, then ten. But trying hard to catch the lead, he slipped and fell again. Defeat, he lay there silently, a tear dropped from his eye. There's no sense running anymore. Three strikes. I'm out. Why try? I've lost, so what's the use, he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad, who soon he'd have to face. Get up. An echo sounded low. You haven't lost at all, for all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. Get up, the echo urged him on. Get up and take your place. You were not meant for failure here. Get up and win that race. So up he rose to run once more, refusing to forfeit. And he resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been. Still, he gave it all he had and ran like he could win. Three times he'd fallen, stumbling. Three times he rose again. Too far behind to hope to win, he still ran to the end. They cheered another boy who crossed the line and won first place. Head high and proud and happy, no falling, no disgrace. But when the fallen youngster crossed the line in last place, the crowd gave him a greater cheer for finishing the race. And even though he came in last, with head bowed low, unproud, you would have thought he'd won the race to listen to the crowd. And to his dad, he sadly said, I didn't do so well. To me, you won, his father said. You rose each time you fell. And now when things seem dark and bleak and difficult to face, the memory of that little boy helps me in my own race. For all of life is like that race with ups and downs and all. And all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. So when depression and despair shout loudly in my face, another voice within me says, get up and win the race. Jesus knew Peter would fall. He knew they all would. He knows we all will. That's not an excuse for our sins. We have to take responsibility. Often there will be consequences. But he knows we're not really rock. We're dust. Jesus knew. He knew that while he prayed for them that they'd fall asleep on the job. He knew in their cowardice and ignorance that they'd run and hide and scatter in the garden. He knew the eleven would not come back together as his team until after he died. After he did, they scattered and he came and he appeared to them separately or in groups. After he rose again until finally he gathered the same 11 on another mountain in Galilee where they all watched him ascend to heaven before their eyes. He knew they'd stumble and fall, but he also knew that he would die and rose again for stumblers and sinners like you and me. He told them clearly that night in verse 28, but after I've been raised I will go ahead of you to Galilee. The shepherd who was struck will regather the scattered. On the Mount of Olives, Jesus invited them to another meeting on another mountain in Galilee where Matthew's gospel says, then he sent them out with marching orders, the great commission. Matthew 28 says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, as we just read. 
Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. None of his sheep were lost because he came looking for them. Wherever they'd run, wherever they'd fallen or stumbled, he found them on the road to Emmaus or hiding in a locked room or failing at fishing on a boat. Jesus came to meet them and get them and bring them back together again. Ten days after his ascension, it says they were all together once more in the upper room when his spirit came to them all together at Pentecost. Amazing. So if somebody's watching now thinking, oh, but I've fallen too often or too far, he says this, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Nothing can stop the, hand, uh, the Lord. So right now, put your life in his hands or back in his hands. You can trust him forever. Let's pray. I just picture in my mind the Lord walking up that mountain and I'm, I'm walking there with him. And he knows that I'm going to stumble and fall. But he will be there every footstep, every time. He's watching leading, guiding. He's praying for you. He knows what the devil's tried to do to you, to sift you. Lord, you knew when you were leading them up that mountain that your friends would soon all come tumbling down. You knew they'd fail and fall. And you know us better than we know ourselves. You know me. But you did not fail in your mission to seek and save the lost. And so right now we're saying we're sorry for our sins. We know there's no excuse. But because of what you accomplished when you went to the cross, we know for sure our failure does not have to be final because you will never disown us. As scripture says, when we are faithless, you remain faithful for you cannot disown yourself. So as with Peter, as with all the 11 and everybody watching or listening here, we know that our weakness can be strengthened by you right now. You factored in our fears and our frailty and our failures, but your faithfulness means we are secure in your love. Nothing will separate us from the future that you have planned for us as we walk through this life following you. Amen. Hi, I'm Anthony Delaney. I'd love to welcome you to Ivy Church. Do check out the website, click on a few buttons, look at some previous teaching and some of the other things that we've been involved with. And why not plan to join us soon at one of our locations? Join a grow group, do the alpha course and figure out for yourself what it is that Christians believe. Or if you've got anything we can pray about, be in touch, press the contact button so that you can email us, let us know about you and how we hope you can be part of us. Come and join us at Ivy Church.